listening to a crap magazine conversation series hosted in collaboration with BIM, the British and Irish Institute of Modern Music and the largest music institute of higher education in Europe. In this podcast, we hear from Paolo Christoffel from the booking team at Primavera Sound Festival for the live talk series which spotlights some of the most influential and inventive voices in contemporary music. Powell sat down with Crack co-founder and director Thomas Frost at BIM Institute Bristol to discuss the planning, creativity and ambition that it takes to programme Primavera Sounds, Europe's largest music festival. Stick around until the end to hear Powell answer questions from the conversation audience. Welcome to the second part of the educational partnership talks between BIM and Crack. I'm here with Pau Christoffel. Hello. Booker at Primavera Sound Festival. My name's Thomas Frost. I'm co-founder and director at Crack Magazine. As I said, this is an educational collaboration between BIM and Crack. And the title of today is How to Book the Perfect Festival Lineup. Something our, our, our speaker here on the left is extremely qualified to, uh, to, to explain to us. Pau Cristalfo is the booker for Primavera Sound and Mutec Festival in Barcelona and is going to help us answer this question. Primavera Sound Festival is a phenomenon in European festival culture. Having started life in 2001 as an 8,000 person event in Barcelona, Primavera's 2022 edition will see the festival operate over two weekends and welcome half a million people through its doors in its regular location of the Parc del Forum, big concrete expanse in Barcelona, just next to the beach. Lovely. <laughs> Part of the, the direction. Yeah, it's lovely. It's so nice there. This is, despite having COVID-19, forced the festival into moving and then ultimately postponing its editions. The festival sold out in a week and we'll see performances from a veritable who's who in current musical culture. Dua Lipa, Gorillaz, Georgia Smith, Lord, Megan Thee Stallion, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, Pavement, Phoenix, Tame Impala, The National, Tyler the Creator, more, lots more. 400 more. 400 more. This coupled with Primavera's commitment to utilising the city's plethora of venues across the week, the aforementioned 400 acts will be performing 500 gigs, not each in total, uh, taking place across 11 days of the festival. In 2019, Primavera also became the first festival to book an entirely 50-50 male-female balanced lineup. Way. Trailblazing a swathe of other festivals to recommit to gender balance within their own operations. Coupled with this expansion, the festival has announced six further additions, just six, to its Barcelona Extra Weekend and Porto editions. There will also be one in LA, Chile, Brazil, Argentina, and then next year you're looking at Madrid as yes. well. That's correct. The budget for booking at Primavera is 50 million euros. That's for Barcelona, I think. It's the total budget, not just for booking. Not I just wish, for booking. I wish it was just for oh, booking. Wow. Still a good number. And the festival have calculated an economic impact of 300 million euros to the city. 
Pau Cristalfo has always been based close to Barcelona and started his career as a music journalist, having worked with a variety of other different roles over his career. Uh, as a PR, radio presenter, press photographer and concert promoter, he has made a career traversing various facets of the industry before settling into his current roles as booker for electronic music festival Mutec and Primavera Sound across all their editions. Welcome, Pau. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me. Pau is also 28, which is moderately terrifying. <laughs> How are you today? I'm fine. It's my first time in Bristol. I'm very happy because I've been having time to do everything that I wanted to do, like going to Strangebury, Wydal Hands, having like the proper Bristol experience. You have such a beautiful city. Today it's kind of like ghost day. No, no, not a lot of people in the streets, but I can imagine on, on the weekends it's, it's very buzzing and a lot of interesting stuff to do. Yeah, it's, it's good here. That's why we all stay. So before we try and answer the question of how to book a perfect festival on, but I wanted to begin with inquiring about your early exposure to music and how that influenced your career choices. What were your, what was your first musical experiences and, and how did you kind of end up fascinated by music? It's always a good place to start. I don't know, like, I, I think I have always been connected to music. In, in the end, it's something that you don't really choose. I feel it's like people feel more connected to, connected to music or to another thing in my case, I guess in yours too, it, it was music. Growing up, I remember, for example, as a child, my mom was always telling me that I was turning up the radio and listening to jazz music. The first time that I felt like, whoa, this is driving me crazy, it was like playing Crazy Taxi in the cinemas, and, and there was this soundtrack that was Bad Religion and The Offspring, and obviously you are eight, and this is everything that, like, I mean... It's quite exciting yeah, music yeah. when you're eight, definitely. Yeah. So aside, after that, I started, like, buying punk rock records while digging, let's say, on the internet about Offspring, Bad Religion, and everything, and one thing took the other. I was playing the piano, then the guitar, and then just, like, I don't know, I, I became, I don't know, obsessed. Maybe it's not a positive word, but kind of. In the terms of, like, on my free time, I was always, like, I don't know, researching new music or listening to music or just, like, playing music with my friends. My family is quite musical. My granddad... So I'm not originally from Barcelona. I'm from this little town called Beek, which is 30,000 people, one hour and a half far from Barcelona train. My granddad opened first musical store there. My dad is also really into music. So, obviously... There, there has been a lot of music in my family still now when we do like family gatherings it's like we have the lunch and then everyone takes out the guitar it's it's pretty like yeah and play like flamenco or whatever and it's 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 it has always been part of our culture superb and you mentioned to me earlier you do you did that classic thing as a, a teenager that all prospective bookers end up doing and i think we can all rate for this sit in school bit of paper just write your dream festival lineup yeah, yeah, when I was, I was born in the high school, that's what I was doing. Like, normally it was like, just like, yeah, doing lineups, just, I don't know. It, it was like, I'm bored, what I'm going to do. It's like, or drawing or, or yeah, doing so, so imaginary booking lineups. was in the blood. Yeah, I, I used to say, lots of people, it's like, how do you, do you end up doing this? This is what I was telling you while having lunch. It's like, I really feel I didn't have a choice. Um, it's just like, since I was very young, it's like I, I attended Primavera for the first time when I was 13 because Sonic Youth were playing with my dad. And then, it, you know, it's like you come from a 30,000 people in Habitant City. You are really into music, but normally the people that is into the music that you are listening to is a bit older. So you have friends, but not people that you really connect with. And then for the first time attending Primavera, it, it, I really feel it changed my life because I was like, oh, there is 30,000 people that was the capacity by then, the daily capacity by then, that somehow 
I feel connected with and, and I, we, fa- we, we have common interests. So I, I can't remember the question anymore. No, it, it's keen to go on to that. So what were your early experiences of Primavera? So you're saying you first attended as a teenager and this is obviously when the festival was a lot smaller, a lot more intimate than the beast it is now. Yes. Uh, so was that quite mind-blowing as a teenager? And who did you go with? What was the early, early days like? I mean... It was not that small. Uh, it was like 30,000. Obviously, it's not even half the capacity that it's now, but it was definitely not small. I think it, it's kind of the same that it's still. It was very balanced. So we went there for Sonic Youth, but we saw Wilco. We saw the reason why we went is because I told my dad it was a Patti Smith show, but because Patti Smith was playing too. But then I was like trying to force him, like, let's just stay for Sonic Youth. Then we ended up going to Nathan Fake. Obviously, I was like 13 at the time, and my older friends were super high on pills, and, and he took me out. My first primavera experience, he took me out dragging me by the ear. Like, this is music for people who does drugs. I, I've been educating, educating my music taste of my dad year by year, and now we can listen to Nathan Fake at home to wear to and he appreciates it now. You mentioned, you also mentioned this earlier, so like, in effect, you've ended up educating each other, right? Yeah, definitely. So. As I was telling you, my dad, long story, uh, he, he used to love collecting mushrooms in the forest, normal mushrooms, but smoking two packets and a half of cigarettes a day, he quit smoking, so he needed another thing to do. Now he goes to second-hand markets. First two weeks, my mom was about to kick him out of home because it was like two bicycles, like three radios, whatever he found. Then they got to this common agreement that records didn't occupy that much space, so now we have like a collection of about 5,000 records. And every, I remember like when I was like th- 17, 18, that was already partying, but yeah. still living with my parents. I was coming back from partying, going to sleep, and one hour later, my dad was coming back from the market, and if he found a good record, he was shaking me in the bed, like, look what I found, look what I found. Uh, so, and, and he has showed me stuff that I booked, and vice versa, like, I used to, every year for his birthday, buy him a record that I think he will hate at first, but then he will love it, like Noi, Suicide, some Calculate remixes even. It's so interesting hearing the musical development in the sense that Primavera has always had such an eclectic lineup. A lot of the people your dad was probably into, you possibly ended up booking, because it's, yeah. you know, it, Primavera books right across the board, older acts, newer acts, very new acts, electronic acts. It's a real beast in that respect. Let's talk a little bit about your first introduction to the team at Primavera. How did that happen? How did you end up involved with with the team and exposed to what they were doing? So before Facebook private groups, internet forums were really a thing and the main one for music in Spain was the Primavera Forum so before I attended for the first time I started being a user so when I was 13 I used to spend like most of my free afternoons just like talking to people on the forum uh, being exposed to swans and Einstein's Neubauten and maybe music that a 13 year old shouldn't be exposed to and and then I remember like I sent this private message to the director of the festival saying like can I attend the festival being underage with my dad and can you please book these five acts and it was 2007. I can't remember. One of the acts was Crystal Castles before they were blowing up. And then it was Bon Sudenfeld, which was Marky Smith from The Fall with Mose on Mars and a couple of other things. And he replied saying like four of the five artists that you said are booked for our next winter festival. You and your dad have VIP passes for the next years. So that's how I was first connected with them. And, and later they used to do these Christmas dinners with like family and friends. And they used to invite me. Obviously, everyone was much older than me, so my parents didn't let me go by myself. So they were having dinner at the restaurant that was next to our restaurant. And after after the dinner, uh, they were taking me back home. So they've obviously seen a, a bit of potential in a 14-year-old. I will say so. Also, like, 
I, I sent my CV maybe six times before they, they got back to me. And But I, I get it. I was very young. You know, I started working there when I was 24. So I guess like when I was 21, they were thinking like, maybe I needed more time. Also, like the fact that I started working for Mutech half a year before Primavera thing made them realize, oh, okay, maybe Bow is starting to grow up. We should make a move now because if not, someone else is yeah, going yeah. It's really, really amazing that they, did you feel like they, they sort of took you under your uh, their wing a little bit? Was there a kind of like nurturing, professional nurturing? you felt from them as an organization did you really feel like they they had your back they were looking after you definitely i mean like my direct boss who is fra who is head of booking for primavera nitsa the nitsa is the club nights that we are doing uh, every weekend at, in barcelona has always been kind of a referent uh, from before i was working there and i always feel like i'm kind of like his protege also because like the booking team is is quite big it's like i would say like eight people now but fra and me are the ones doing like Nitsa too so it's always we always felt this uh, connection yeah. and he's always been a referent in terms of like introducing me to people showing me how I should do stuff telling me off when he should but also yeah. like being very empathic I remember the first time that I don't know two months after um, booking Nitsa I was like fuck I booked two DJs for the same day it's the only day that happened and I thought like they are going to kick me out they are going to kick me out and he came and he hacked me I was like it had to happen one day I did it many times yeah, yeah, when yeah. I was your age so it's fine everyone's got to be allowed to make a mistake I think that's fine. So let's try and move on and let's try and answer this question then. How do we book the perfect festival lineup? Let's start at the beginning of the cycle. Let's say COVID hadn't happened and you were celebrating a really, really good year. The festival's just finished. We've had our rap party. Everyone's happy. What a year. What a great year. You're looking at next year and how do you begin the process of booking for next year? What's the, what the first steps you take? Everything has changed a bit now with COVID, especially the timings. Before, I will say, main headliners, more than a year in advance, we start conversations. For most of the bookings, normally it was around September, October. There is this conference in London, IFF. We do some of the main meetings there. But normally it goes from there to this period of the year. That's what normally was. Because I remember we used to go to South By, which happened two weeks ago and book some of the last slots there. Obviously, before the lineup was mostly announced in January, but some of the last slots by this period of the year. But now with COVID, we, we really don't know how it is from now on because we had the experience that doing everything very early and being the first ones to announce had a very positive impact on ticket sales. I think like the key on us selling out such a huge number of tickets in just a week is us presenting what is our strongest lineup to date, but also like the fact, also like the momentum, you know, because in, in the pandemic, it's always like it, it comes from one week difference, like the general vibe of the society. It's like, and, and we kind of calculated when the people was going out of, of their places for the first time after the quarantine and everyone was like, whoa, life is back again. Obviously, after we announced, like we went down and, and up and yeah. uh, many times, but at the moment that we announced, everyone thought like, like, oh, life is back, and we announced by, uh, yeah, yeah. by then. So that was very important. So I guess, like, I don't know, depending on this, I guess, like, they will want to announce 2023. Maybe not next year, maybe later this one. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to be. Do, do you find that the, the announcement, once you booked, gets earlier and earlier each year? Is there an effort to try and... It used to be... It just seemed that way to me that a lot of festivals were just going early. Certainly with regards to conditions in and around the pandemic, going earlier, like you said, you're inadvertently announcing that life is back in its own way which is quite a weird thing to do isn't it you're you're sort of representing that normality is back and that you could buy festival tickets and yeah yeah to go again 
Yeah, well, it's, it's a marketing tool in the end, like, just like taking advantage of, of the momentum. We really thought life was back by then. Hopefully, life will be back now. Is there a brief for Primavera's booking policy? And what are you trying to achieve with Primavera's booking policy? And we mentioned before about the, the gender balance. Well, to be honest, it's much more chaotic than what one could think like a huge festival like that should be. It's like just like, let's say, eight huge music fans sitting down and, and making decisions and showing music to each other. Obviously, key decisions such as headliners and everything is like thought way more in advance. And also it's at some point it's like good to take a step back and watch it with perspective. Like this is the lineup as it stands. Maybe we lacked a bit of this, maybe we lack a bit of that. Sometimes it's like, oh, we have a lot of more, let's say, pop mainstream acts. Like, for example, this year we have Dua Lipa, in the past we had Miley. Maybe we need to book Autecre now, you know, or or, yeah, or, yeah. or like, or, or very weird stuff, or, yeah, Merthwo, or whatever. You yeah, know, yeah. it's like, just like balancing it. However, it's, I'm, I'm pretty happy of how it, it went for, for this edition because it's like having, like, it's, it's difficult to balance it, having such a huge number of acts. And in, in the terms of the gender balance, to be honest, how it went, it's like at some point when we realized we did this winter festival and we realized even not like looking at it, it was more than the 50% of non-male acts. And then I was doing the brief for some stages, like some more of the shortlist. Yeah. And we were like, oh, fuck, there is a lot of non-male acts. And then we were like, oh, maybe if we are like 45%, let's, let's make it over 50. Yeah, but it's yeah. not something that we are forcing. It's something that I think it's very aligned with the times and, and with how the music industry is right now. I think at first we didn't force it, but the fact that we did it pushed. And because I think like it's very important, I, I feel weird to, to be a, a white male saying this now, like um, the, the booking team is very diverse. Like yeah. uh, I think it's very important to place reference for everyone on stage. And I think it's something that we did very well on the last edition not just in terms of having non-male acts, but in terms of having different races, like different music styles. There was this big thing with reggaeton being part of Primavera. And then I remember like people that was coming there and almost crying to us, like saying, you don't know how it means for our community that you recognize this as music that you can, it's, it's valid music, you know? Yeah, I can have and, such a big stage as well. And I remember like Geoff Barrow, uh, who I, I really admire, it's one of my biggest idols, was making this tweet saying like, yeah, Primavera felt like the most diverse at, at, and at the same time festival I have ever been and, and that meant a lot. And I think like this fact that you place reference for everyone on stage made it that everyone was feeling really grateful. I think like Primavera has always uh, had a very educated crowd, but I remember like on the last year, people was taking the trash from the floor and, and taking it to the trash bins. It was impressive. And this makes that... Because if you have like a festival and just like guys playing either, maybe like if there is a, a girl that wants to make electronic music, doesn't think like she can do it, but it's like if they can see, it's like, oh, I can do this as well, you know? I think it's, and this is like a domino effect. So yeah. Amazing. If, if you look at the scope of music available at Primavera, it's kind of staggering, especially now even with your expansion over to two weekends, you can have a good time digesting a, a ridiculous amount of genre and, and people and music from different places. It's, it's a staggering amount of music. As far as the booking goes, do you want to explain a little bit about maybe whether people in the booking team have specialisms or whether there's certain areas of, of the lineup that say maybe you book because you feel a bit more musically attuned to, to that area of the lineup? How does it work between the eight of you? Well, I mean, like everything that is more experimental and electronic, normally I book it together with Fra because are the ones that we are the ones that 
are more specialized on that. But aside from that, we book any other kind of uh, music style too. I wouldn't say like the other bookers do experimental and, and electronic, but we, aside from that, everyone does everything, which is pretty chaotic for the agents because they try to understand how we work. It's like, no, we come there, like, for example, before, like, I was sending some unreleased albums to them. It's like, listen to this, and if they like it, it's like, oh, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it goes, like, depending on the personal relation with agents or if we have uh, relations with artists or managements, sometimes we do it this way, but it's not that we are... Of course, like, there is this guy, Abel, that uh, really loves metal. So when we did Motorhead or Slayer, normally it's him who does it, you know? But, as, uh, I mean, like, it's, it's pretty... Unorganized, but for a good reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you mentioned agents there. Let's move on to, to agents because that's such a big part of, of your relationship. So if you want to maybe go through what a typical booking scenario would look like with a, an agent. Say you were booking a, a larger act. Yep. How would you go about broaching that conversation? And what are the challenges of dealing with agents who are essentially the gatekeepers to your, to your artists? I would say, like, the, normally the, the conversation will start, like, just checking if the period is available. But sometimes... Another thing that we do is obviously like there are many festivals around us and more and more, for example, Mel Festival moved to our period because it's, it's good for them because there are a lot of acts in Europe because of Primavera, but then it's like, oh, I want to book this headliner, so maybe I should speak with Lilo, Will of Green in Paris or, or Melt. So we offer at the same time because normally and, and more and more, for example, big rappers, for example, come once and they come for two weekends and, and it's the weekend that they make most, most money before. And it still happens sometimes that it's, oh, Primavera. Like, we want to play Primavera no matter what because we recognize the festival, but then, then there are certain acts that suddenly it's just about the money. So then it's like aligning with the other festivals to make offers at the same time. It's more like a strategic work. And then it's, it, it just depends on the case. Obviously, it's about building up a connection, not just with the agency, sometimes with big labels. I speak with them and, and they have these tour coordinators that they are not taking care of the tour, but they are in touch with management and the agency. So the more input ways you, you get to management and the artist, the more the easier it's going to be to convince them. That's not regular to do, I would say, but it helps. But aside from that, it's just like, yeah, sending the offer, but it's obviously there is all the background work that has been done before for them to recognize your festival like uh, as a valid one and as one of that their artists should play yeah yeah absolutely and I, I think you know with the expansion this year that's become even more evident so for those that don't know a lot of the acts who are playing primavera's first weekend this year are also staying on to play one more gig and in some cases two more gigs you know a midweek gig and then play the next weekend as well which is a relatively unheard of model for a european music festival well i will say like 20% of the acts are playing both weekends. Yeah. The rest of the lineup is different, which makes it yeah. crazier for us because it's like, now now we realize, like, before we had to do advancing for 200 and something acts and now it's 500, it's like, fuck. When did we have this idea? But what we do, it's like these midweek shows that we are filling every little corner of the city with music in between the Sunday of the first weekend and the Wednesday before the, the second one. And we are doing, like, underplays, like Jamie XX playing for 200 people, Goldie... We do this Nyege Nyege showcase, this festival from Uganda. They are also doing this venue takeover for 200 people. And then, I don't know, from this to Megan Distelion playing for 1,000, George Smith playing for 500. And lots of label showcases with 4AD, Secretly. Um, PC Music. PC Music, of course, yeah. Now we are dealing with European agents for live music, European agents for, let's say, electronic music, which are a bit different, and then the same for America. So the amount of people that is reaching out and saying, like, please listen to this, or like... Can, can we advance and buy the flights? It's like, 
crazy amount. So now, luckily, like the team is growing because it's a bit overwhelming. But yes, and this is something that when I started working for Primavera, they told me at first that I was dedicating too much time to have relationships with people that wasn't Asians and that wasn't like the people, not the people that I shouldn't, I should relate to, but like maybe not the people that I should prioritize. But then they realized that this way I could get to situations or get artists that you cannot get the common way. And that's why, for example, like I have a very good relationship with Warp Records. And the first year that I booked Primero, we did this like little Warp showcase for 800 people inside yeah. the festival with Evian Christ, Yves Tumor, Gaika, can't remember who else played there. And this was because of a personal relation that I was friends with them. It's like, let's do it. And then they were like, there's no way you are going to confirm this because the budget was like super low for that because it was 800 people. So, yeah. and they realized, so for example, like it hasn't happened because of the pandemic, but Nic Nicolas Jarre wasn't playing any shows, but he has this weird project that was like, the writer was like two tables and a MacBook. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it was like kind of weird blips and blobs. But I was like talking to his band colleague and then in the end to Nico and we confirmed a show when he was not confirmed. Show. So in the end, it's like they realized, oh, it's like yeah. when, when talking yesterday, I was talking about like what I consider passive booking and active booking. Passive booking, it's like just like dealing with Asians, which is obviously maybe if, you, if they like your festival or you, they will send uh, ideas from before. But in the end, if you go to London and have or whatever and have meetings with Asians, there will be someone from another festival coming after you and being exposed exactly to the same ideas. And, and obviously you need to do that, but it's important at least for us to balance it with how we can get ideas that will make the difference. How can we make our festival different than the others, at least in, in some parts, you know? Yeah, yeah, and those personal relationships, obviously, totally, Managers, totally like labels. essential to making sure that you, you're able to think out the box, yeah. get your vision over the line, and, and ultimately, like, do really, really interesting booking that's slightly off-key or, or off the normal exactly. off the normal run. It's really, really interesting. So let's say the festival's booked... Let's discuss what happens when an act cancels. So your festival, your festival's booked, everything's going well, and then a major act decides to pull for various reasons, say like two days, three days before the festival. What do you do in that scenario? What happens? It, it goes case by case. Obviously, if possible, you try to replace the act for a act, for an act of the similar size. But obviously, it gets case by case. I remember like that year, the first year that I worked, the Amigos canceled because they went to this Kanye West party the day before and they didn't even get to the plane, uh, which was very confusing because someone else was doing the soundcheck for them. But as it was like just auto tune, I was like, you could do the soundcheck for Amigos if you wanted to. You know, it's like, I was like, oh, Amigos are here, they are, they are soundchecking. And then two hours later, it's like, Amigos canceled. I was like, what? That's a very curious anecdote. Like, Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's really, really interesting. And it, in terms of, in terms of the challenges, I guess, with the expansion of late as well, that, that must be really, really interesting to talk about because it, most operations have either downscaled or had budgets cut because of COVID and, and what's happened. You've doubled in size and uh, announced six more editions. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the LA one was already planned before the pandemic, but never happened because of the yeah. pandemic. So in terms of your booking, you've got quite a lot more on your plate than you had previously. How's that played out? over the course of the last year? I mean, to be honest, now the booking team has increased a lot and that's very relieving because I, I'm making this joke like on the past days, but I, I felt like for a while my life was like living in a little little house next to the sea and I was opening the door every day and there was like a heat tsunami. I was like, I was closing the door. I was like, well, next day it was closer, but I, I could do nothing, but I expect dying at some point, you know? <laughs> uh, but then it, it's, it's more relieving. I, it was very stressing, but yeah, it's... it's 
how can you make something that's that detailed and personalized on such of a big scale? It's very important to not become a McDonald's of music festivals. So it's something that we... And also, how can you do something in Latin America, for example, that is relevant for the people then? Let's not make a festival for European people in Latin America. So we are discussing with lots of local collectives there. We are even, like considering a collective that we work with to do collaborations with artists from Latin America and present like shows that they created for that in Latin America and then in Barcelona in 2023. So how to make things special and how to make involve like the local community and make something relevant. And, and most importantly, it's like, what can we learn from this? It's like doing festivals in Latin America and having the chance to dig into our, our Portugal that we have been doing for more years. It's an amazing opportunity to dig into their music history and potentially discover acts that we should bring later to Barcelona, you know? Yeah. It's, it's not just like bringing stuff from Europe or America there, it's just like bringing stuff back. And obviously it's like a private festival, we could do whatever we want, but I, I always feel personally there is this moral and ethics side of the things when yeah. I like to while it's like part of my drive a, a you know a cultural exchange of sorts I guess yes. between you know between countries that's a really reassuring approach has it faced other challenges Is it, have you ever felt at any point that you mentioned obviously feeling for a while like it was a bit out of control but how has it been for the internal team beyond booking has it been you know has the expansion been visible in other areas of the operation and does it just feel like a much bigger bigger entity than when you first joined and you first started working at Primavera it's feeling now because I feel like the the problem was like that for a while it was bigger but the, the team has didn't grow that much. It's true that the company is growing a lot but because we have this in-house marketing company that is, is yeah. as I was telling you, I think it's very clever to, especially seeing what happened now, it's like to create something for the live music not to be your main income or, or for not to be your unique income, let's say. So if another pandemic happens, I hope not, we will still have income because we do like I don't know, like marketing for Seat or, or whatever, like any, any brands. So this has been growing a lot and the team as well, step by step. And, and we have like local partners on each city that will also help yeah. us with production and stuff. Yeah, amazing. Does working for such an expansive organization provide you with an enjoyable working life? Like, do you, do you think there's a positive culture at Primavera and do you feel like, you know, everyone's sort of driving in the, in the same direction? And is that really a necessity considering what you're trying to achieve in the next year. I think the only way that you can do this work is because it's what you love the most. If not, it's absolutely crazy. Like, I, I slept two hours and a half tonight. I had my flight at eight. I was replaying emails by two and a half because it's like, you need to do it. It's like, it's not just like, also because you feel so connected to it that you want to do it well. And it's not something that I don't care. You know, I shouldn't be doing this because it's not office time. So it's like, and, and there are periods like, pff, like at some point my boss told me not to sleep on his sofa because I was like, it's 3 a.m. And for a week straight, I was like 9 a.m. to 3 a.m in the office every day and I was like Frank I'm, I'm gonna sleep here it doesn't make sense for me to go home you know and he told me I couldn't but you know so it, it's it's crazy sometimes but at the same time it's like fuck I'm, I'm in Bristol I'm, I'm with people whose work I admire so this this means a lot for me and obviously it has that fuck and, and like I keep traveling around the world I'm, I'm living the life that I, I always wanted as a kid so obviously that's the good side but it's tough 
it's it's really tough and obviously it's good because i realized like you know during the pandemic obviously like it, it was very hard and i think there is people that are still carrying the effects of it but at some point like later last year especially the fact like you keep like doing lineups and releasing lineups selling tickets and then it's not happening so at, at some point i had the impression that the, the work we were doing was just like do lineups like like when i was in yeah, the high school you know well, 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 and i was like fuck uh, but actually like the events are not happening it's just like this roller coaster of emotions so at some point last year i was like feeling pretty down in terms of like fuck i don't have energy and i told them and they were super empathic with me also because they know me as being like this crazy kid that's always 200 percent so when when i was not able to to provide that they were yeah. very empathic so that's it's very important to empathize with your work colleagues not only that but also like something going back to the agents it's like some of the agencies were very aggressive i think with the pandemic this changed a bit you know it's more hey how are you or okay you cannot do this now because something happened it's fine doing tomorrow you know it's it's i think everyone says like oh like the pandemic has brought so many good things which which is true let's see how many because some of them like are not staying for sure like i'm, I'm seeing like how things are getting back yeah, yeah. to the old normal but some of them are you know and this kind of like more hey are you okay you know kind of like not just caring about the business but also with the people like, this is very important also like just to make sure you don't have because at some point it's very easy to just have noise around you all the time being like noise like music or, or being like just like uh thoughts and then this doesn't let you to listen to yourself you know and then it's like uh, after three months you burn out and you don't understand why so it's very important for you to keep checking on yourself and, and to make sure to like let space for yourself and, and to communicate how you feel yeah with people. And, and do you think then the, the pandemic has fostered a bit more of a patient relationship between the various parts of the booking system because I, so. I think that was a major thing we noticed in our in our walk that quite often the relations were often a bit short a bit rude sometimes yes. a bit a bit cut i think if that's changed that would be a real that'd be a real positive no i think it's changing that's amazing yeah yeah it's good positive. To, that's good to hear so last question for me is is what is your personal ambition for the for the coming years i guess the first one will probably be actually do a festival yes yeah, be a, that would be great a real nice nice thing to happen but yeah where do you see yourself going you know having got to this position from you know working from such a, a young age and, and working you know with primavera for actually quite a long time now where do you see it going in the in the, in the coming years for, for yourself um being able to adapt to the growth of the festival but without disconnecting from what took me to do this on the first place that was like just like putting shows sharing the music that I like and, and just creating like special shows things that I feel are meaningful at least to me but hopefully for other people too I remember like you know like when I started going to Primavera we saw like Throbbing Grizzle with my dad or like many shows that blew my mind so hopefully sometimes I when like this year like Autecre are gonna play the, the auditorium and I, th I think like I hope there is like a 13 year old kid that goes with his dad or girl you know it's like just like having an impact on people yeah. uh, more than just like providing fun or whatever it's like just like open people's mind obviously you cannot change a world through a festival lineup but i think like it's just like um, just like showcasing different realities doing this thing with with, with Nye, this festival from uganda that we may even give money to them for them to bring a spanish artists to collaborate with them remember something that we are discussing it's like keeping connected to my roots let's say yeah but at the same time adapting and finding this balance in between like 
Like what 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 primera is you know it's like we do Dua Lipa but then we do very weird noise stuff. So and that's perfect because I don't think there is a festival that could let me do both on this extreme. You know, yeah, like yeah. from the more mainstream to the more mainstream but good, but to the more like weird and unique. You know, so amazing yeah. and and you know that's so nice that you feel like you've got. You've got that freedom. You've got that creative freedom with your booking. Amazing. That's great. That's great for me. I just wanted to open it up to the floor for a second. Anyone got any questions for, for Pau? I was wondering what your first job in this sort of sphere was, like where your sort of like foot into the door for organising events was, really. Well, music journalism. Yeah. I mean, I, I since a kid, I was reading a lot, so I always like writing kind of easy to me. And then there was this thing called Photolog I was telling you before that was kind of pre-Instagram. So you were posting a picture and then just like saying whatever you wanted on a, on a internet post, you know? And I remember like where most of the kids my age were like just like posting random pictures and, and random quotes. I was going to shows and I was like just like 2,000 characters every day just like talking about music or I was like even like making briefs or, or music news that I liked. And obviously like most of the kids my age were commenting and like this sounds weird about but but I like you whatever you know and at some point I was like oh fuck um, I would like to work as a journalist and I approached this guy that was like the head of culture of like the regional newspaper like general newspaper that there was like around my parents place he asked me can, can you send me a proof of your work and I sent him like this teenager internet post and I will always appreciate that because obviously like I was not writing perfectly I was very far from that I was yeah, 13, by then 13, 14. But he correct me and, and he appreciated the, the drive and the passion that I had. And through that, I got like press passes during all of my teenage years, uh, which was very appreciated. Early, early blogging gets you everywhere. Yeah. That's, uh, that's the lesson there. Anyone else? Anyone else got a question? Thanks, pal. That was, that was really fascinating. Thank you. I just wanted to know, by the time the festival comes round, can you kick back and chill and enjoy it? Or are you, are you kind of quite tense, like, until it's over? I wouldn't say tense, excepting um, if Migos cancel or, or Barca loses. <laughs> but, well, it's, it's more about, like, shaking hands, uh, making sure that everyone is having a nice time, which is, like, a good position to be in. But I cannot really see many shows. If I can see one show in its entirety... It's very lucky. I see lots of like five minutes. Like every year I went to see a show with my parents last year, like I should like be here for five minutes, like in 2018. But yeah, I can enjoy it, but just in a different way, which is a shame, you know, because I cannot yeah. enjoy it. Like I would love to enjoy it. But. Can, I, can I expand on that question and just quickly ask you whether you feel obliged to go around, say you've booked the artists. Do you often feel obliged to go and see the artists and sort of say, hey, I'm, I'm Pau, I booked you nice to meet you, you know, and is there a sort of level of courtesy that you feel like you need to show there? I don't need to do it because we have a, a very professional team in, in all of the aspects, so they have hosts, uh, that they take care of them, but obviously uh, I do it whenever I can, but also like, for example, if I was in South By and I was like, this, this girl Priya Raguda is going to play this year, I was like, I found her on the street, it's like, hey, I book you, you know, it's like, they always appreciate it to have this human touch and also like, you know, building up relationships with Artists such as Batu, for example, that was like giving a talk, I think, this morning here, you know, it's like then gets you to then maybe stay in touch with these people or, or yeah, and then to suggest, I had this crazy idea, I don't know if this will make sense for you, and sometimes it doesn't make sense, but sometimes yes, and that's how you get to the personalized bookings or, or how to make the difference that I was saying before. Anyone else? Anyone else got a question for Pau? 
Yeah, thank you for coming in and speaking to us. I was just wondering, obviously, Primavera is very good at having a diverse lineup. Like, what's your response to the festivals that don't or say they can't find the acts that are diverse? I don't know, like being like private festivals, literally they can they can do whatever they want, but obviously it's something that I, I don't feel aligned with and I feel it's boring as well, just like showcasing everything like from the same po point of view. Everyone is free to do whatever they want. It's just what I wouldn't do, what I don't f feel comfortable going or attending. I think like these kind of festivals as well are, are getting less and less relevant, you know, because it's it's about showcasing a reality, you know. Among all, the, all of the things that Primavera is, I would like to, to feel that it's a picture of the now, you know. It's like, you know, depending on, on stuff, we book away or the other, also like to, to tell, to reflect a bit what's, what's the momentum globally so someone that is not presenting a diverse lineup right now it's like missing a lot good answer um i just wanted to ask about where you find the artists that you're booking and like is going to gigs a big part of your job or is it like other people who are helping you decide being exposed to music all day is important for me to also like I, I keep investing on pyjamas and slippers and stuff like that to convince me to stay home just to have like oh I should stay home I have these new pyjamas so slippers yes yeah nice like slippers yeah 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 like so so keep your feet comfortable yeah, yeah it's like yeah yeah so I, I have to stay more, uh, home more because if not I go crazy like in, I need some some time to rest you know so attending shows yes but for example like if I'm going to Next week I'm going to this festival in The Hague, amazing festival called Rewire. So I'm going there to see shows. I'm on the mood to see shows. In Barcelona I don't attend shows that much, but for example, if I go to Salvay, of course I see like 10 shows a day. So I'm a bit on and off with this because also I said, if not, I could be like, when I was 24, I was, every afternoon I was going to this gallery presentation or this show or whatever, but it's like, now I'm older and, and I'm more tired in general. But how do I get the music? Uh, following music pages and creating trustful relations with people that don't necessarily need to be part of the industry, you know? Some of the people that I send, it's like, sometimes you feel aligned with this person, it's like, we keep sharing music, just like, out of interest, uh, but then it's like, oh, I like their perspective, and, and for example, the other day, somehow, ah, because he wanted to come to Primavera, like, there is this guy that books the New York Jazz Festival, which is amazing. I've never been there, but I really wanted to go, and it's like, we started sharing each other albums, you know? And that's also how, how you get to discover artists, not the usual ways. Of course, you can check what's best new music on Pitchfork, which we do, but doing that, you are going to end up having what everyone is having already. So, like, uh, just, like, personal relations, like, media, Instagram, you know? Asking my little cousin what she listens to. A mix of everything. Howdy. Um, have you ever had any pushback from your like marketing team? So you've got your list, you've decided that you want to put these guys on and play your bill, and then somebody's gone, nah, we can't have that guy. How would you deal with that? How would you respond to that? It's a very good question, but we haven't found ourselves in such a situation. Spawn, fair play. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is that, I'm going to expand on that quickly, I think. So do you have autonomy with the booking in the sense that if you book, is anyone going to ever go, oh, I don't know about that? If it's approved in between the booking team, yeah. uh, we had like a Slayer playing the AJM stage. It's oh, like, like yeah, like yeah, an Apex twin. You know, it's like... Um, yeah, yeah, no, no, it was like, yeah, it was like, I can't remember, it was like something like the National... 
Slayer, then something that was pop, and then FX Twin. <laughs> but yeah, that's Primavera. Yes, no, no, we have total freedom to... Um, obviously, if there is like this brand that wants to do this opening party that just like they are paying for that, and uh, then they don't have a final word, but they can have express we would like to do that, but not in the main festival. Brands pay to have their name, but what happens on the stage is whatever we want to. And, and, and they are very strict with this. It's like sometimes, it's like they make it very clear that they don't choose. Like they just pay to, but what, what happens there, it's even like when we do these festivals uh, across the world, it's like we book it ourselves. It's not like when you have like different, like a chain. Yeah, it's not like a franchise. A franchise, it's yeah, not a franchise. Yeah. You know, and sometimes we have like, obviously there is investors in each country and they keep asking us, how the lineup is looking and, and our director normally wants to keep everything and present this is the lineup like I don't care I don't care about your opinion because that's the deal with saves, it uh, like, saves you know, a lot of hassle yeah. <laughs> yeah and for those that don't know Primavera has two main stages at either end of the either end of its expanse so you you literally watch Slayer and then you walk up the other end and watch Apex Twin like 10 minutes yep. later it's it's a really good way of doing it and less quiet time uh, which is really good any more questions uh, how much uh, influence do you get on the sort of scheduling of like the timings? So when you're booking artists, can you sort of dictate what sort of time on the event that you want them to play? It does go on for quite a long sort of period. Like I think it starts at what I don't know six. Four p.m. Four p.m. until six a.m. Are artists particularly pushy? Do they not want to play? those 4 p.m. slots. Yep. Can you just tell us a little bit about sort of how the book... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all very hot work. in Barcelona at 4 p.m., isn't it? It's all very yeah. hot. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I meant because this year as we are changing a bit like the, um, how the festival is set up, we had to change the timings two times. So it's, it's like now we're dealing with this. Yes, definitely. There is this slot. We have this Raven stage, which is like this amphitheater. Everyone wants to play 8 p.m. in Raven stage. You know, we could do like, instead of doing a festival, having like one show a day and we could have like everyone playing because all of them want their, their slot. Obviously, big artists have a word on the time they play. Little artists, they can say whatever they want because sometimes it's like, we have this, you take it or not. Obviously, we book from a perspective that, I mean, like, we try to have common sense, but at the same time, we try a bit to go crazy and, and do stuff. Also, like, it, it's, it's just pain, you know? Things go until later than what we do here. So normally we have lots of acts that told us we played like the later set we have ever played at Primavera. We have like, there is this band called Special Interest who are amazing, which is this kind of post-punk meets ESG meets industrial vibes and they are playing at 4.30 a.m. and it's a live band, you know? Uh, but then you can just like go and dance to Jeff Mills or if you want like a band, you can, you still have, or Dead Skeletons played very late too, I remember. Yeah. But sometimes we even had like Moom, who wears this band that yeah. it's like very chill. They yeah. played 3 a.m. too, you know? And, and then there was people spaced out like on, I, on the garage. I think it's the most, be personally, the most enjoyable thing about that festival is, is watching live music at times of day that we in the UK aren't really like used to. You can, yeah, you know, go and watch Caribou at like two thirty in the morning, or yep. you know, where, you know, which is probably the right time to watch something like that. Whereas in the UK, we're a bit obsessed with banging people on at nine pm. Yeah, everyone stay up later. How has um, the pandemic affected your company and yourself? And like, with your personal experiences, have, has that changed the way you work or your outlook on on your work and your and the programming and the booking side of things? So this has been a roller coaster. When the pandemic started, I was like, I need to be one step ahead. I need to be ready for what's going to happen, react fast. So I was like overworking a lot. I, I moved back with my parents. 
And I was like, just like checking all the pandemic news, like thinking I will discover something, you know, I will discover the cure of the pandemic myself or something. And and then after that, it was very difficult for me to work, uh, to focus on everything. So it's been a roller coaster. Like, I guess it, it has been for everyone else. What has changed is like I said, I think in general, people is more empathic in between themselves. And I realized how important it is to, to listen to yourself, like I said before. Cool. And um, many more questions. Lots of students here, lots of people at the beginning of their careers. It's clear that the enthusiasm for music and your love of music has basically dictated everything that you've done. What advice would you give to young people who are perhaps a bit anxious about reaching out to people like you and letting them know what they're doing and their interest in music? How would you say to to get over that initial problem of talking to people? Uh, I will say it's very important to be here but it's very important to be there too like on the streets and attending shows like going to the record shop relating to the strange free or whatever venue you know and and just like yeah start doing things don't be afraid of making mistakes because obviously I, I started booking shows um we missed this part like when I was working as a journalist I was booking shows in this little jazz club in, in my parents place uh, so we had the wave pictures we had James Black show lots of 65 days of a static. I was organizing this when I was 14 or 15, and obviously, I didn't know how to book a show, and I learned through mistakes. Obviously, everyone was thinking, oh, it's a cute kid, like, organizing shows, like, whatever. But, yeah, don't don't be afraid of making mistakes. Just try not to fuck up big, big time, but and, and don't be afraid of ask for advice, you know? And you can have, like, a hundred different people that is more or less in my position here and each one is going to tell a different story. Obviously, there's going to be, hopefully, like the drive and the passion in common, but there's not a manual about how to do this and how you get there, how you do it. It's And also, like, I think I do my work completely different fr- from some of my colleagues. Yeah. You know, it's like how you get there, how you do it, it's completely personal. So try to build it up on, on your way that you think you should do it and also, like, obviously, adapting to what people need from you and to make something that you feel realized with. Obviously, sometimes it's, I, I, I think I'm very lucky, you know, that, that I work very hard, but to end up doing exactly what I wanted, sometimes it's like, oh, like I had this, like yesterday, well, not yesterday, last week I was having this conversation, like I really didn't have in my life a job that I didn't want, you know, and sometimes yeah, yeah. you need to go through this phase, you know, it's like or working in the music industry, this position because you want to get to that one, but obviously like, yeah, keep in mind what you want to do and, and if you are doing something else, to get the money, it's like try to do shows. If, if what you want to do is doing shows. Don't lose your focus and don't lose your passion. Absolutely. Get out there and meet people. That's how it works. Great. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for coming. And thank you, Pau. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Crack Audio.